everyone, and welcome to Vodka O'Clock. I'm your host, Amber Love from AmberUnmasked.com. Don't forget that you can sponsor the show and my work at Patreon.com slash AmberUnmasked. And uh, you can learn about things like my mystery series, the Pharaoh Weather series. Uh, the first two books are out, Cardiac Arrest and Full Body Manslaughter. And there's all kinds of other things over at Patreon. So head over there. So joining me today back on the show, we've been here a few times, is Jeremy Whitley, and we're going to talk about the amazing Unstoppable Wasp. Welcome back. Thank you. It's been a while. It's been a bit of a while. Usually we're talking about your original work or things like My Little Ponies, which is, um, you know, franchise IP stuff. So now we're talking about, um, you know, one of the big two books because you've done some like one shots here and there before right yeah i've done a couple of uh short stories or you know um anthologies and stuff around big events and then i did a um i did a a year of marvels story which was a, a digital first um one shot comic uh it was all about kate bishop and then um yeah this is my first ongoing series uh i got to got a neat chance to do sort of a prelude to this because I got to uh, co-write an issue of All New All Different Avengers with Mark Wade. Um, you know, we got to do some introduction to this character and kind of, you know, what we're doing with the series. Okay. So we're going to get into those details. Unstoppable Wasp, number one, came out uh, at comic book stores and digitally. I, um, I'm assuming at the same time it was January 4th. So, um it had your name specifically as the writer, Jeremy Whitley, and we have art by, you're going to have to help me with Elsa's last name, Charitier? Uh, that, I think, Maybe? is closer than what I usually get. Apparently, I, I over-French it a little bit because uh, I, I okay. say Charitier, and I think it's uh, it's actually Charitier. So. Okay. And uh, colors by Megan Wilson, letters by the wonderful Joe Caramega, who's uh, here in New Jersey. He's a lovely guy. I've, I've uh, had him at the Comic Fusion store. He's a great guy. So the amount of praise that came through my Twitter feed on Wednesday, January 4th was unbelievable. It was like, it it may have just been called Wasp Wednesday, which I, <laughs> I start, I tried to start the hashtag of, I'm like, we, I would need to see like people's sketches right now. Um, so did you expect this kind of, uh, you know, instant, unbelievable amount of praise? Oh, <laughs> You know, obviously, you always kind of hope that uh, that's the way it's going to turn out. Um, honestly, even you know, even when my uh, Princel stuff or even My Little Pony stuff is well received, it's it's still received by a much smaller quantity of people than uh, read you know the a number one from a Marvel book. Um, so yeah, it was still uh, a lot more than uh, I was frankly prepared to know what to do with. Um, but yeah, like it was this amazing support. There was a lot of uh people that were very excited and very happy and a lot of people that uh you know, I don't already know from comics internet that were uh very positive and excited about the book, which was really cool. So why is this wasp character so special because the wasp that I knew, I believed was Janet Van Dyne and now we've got this other wasp who was only created in 2016 by uh, Mark Wade and 
Alan Davis, I believe. So, you know, the the wasp that I knew of, she's even referenced sort of, a, you know, jokingly in your issue, in your first issue there, like, you know, hey, somebody else already has that name. Mm-hmm. Um, so what makes Nadia so special? I think, um, you know, first of all, I'm, I'm a big fan of Janet's as well. And um, it was it was cool when I did uh, write Avengers, I, I got to write a story with, you know, Nadia and Janet. Um, and I do think that, you know, I, I would love to see Janet and more stuff and she'll definitely be in this one as well. Um, I think the the big thing with Nadia is um, she's a character who's, who's been through a lot. I mean, she's only, it's only 16. Um, but basically she is the daughter of Hank Pym and his first wife, Maria, um, who Maria was uh, captured shortly after they were married by a, you know, a, East uh, Eastern European terrorist organization, and um, you know, sort of died while there. Um, what nobody knew, of, you know, about that was that when she was captured, she was pregnant. She gave birth to Nadia there, um, and Nadia has been in the Red Room ever since then. Which you know, for people who are familiar with Black Widow, that's the same program that brought her up, where you know, young women are, are trained from an early age to be merciless assassins. Um, the, the thing about Nadia was that uh, even though she was in this training program, there was this, they recognized this aptitude for science in her that she, you know, shares with her father, obviously. And um, she, uh, they began training her to to be a scientist, to, you know, develop new uh, ideas and weapons and, and things for the Red Room. Um, and, you know, she, she ended up replicating Hank's work on film particles and then used them to escape, um, you know, and, and came back came back to the U.S. to try and find her father, uh, only to discover that he as well it was dead. Um, I, I think the really amazing thing about her is that she she doesn't just give up at that point. She doesn't just stop. Um, you know, she decides. Nadia decides that you know she has to do something with her life. You know, they've. They've taken, you know, these 16 years from her, um, and it's incumbent upon her to do something um, with the rest of her life, or, uh, you know, it's as if she never escaped. So, you know, Nadia is an incredibly upbeat and positive character, despite everything she's been through, and she sort of sets out on this quest in the story to um, put together a, a group of, you know, young female scientists um, to to help change the world and to help do those things that you know she wants to do, um, you know she's she's got all the the brains of of Hank, but has a little bit of you know uh, someone like Janet in her too, where she is you know she is social, she is a, a good person. Not that Hank is entirely bad, but um, you know she's much more upbeat and optimistic than Hank usually is. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned the the effect that the red room can have on these girls who are taken because I was I had thought about whichever Avengers movie it was where they um they give Black Widow that really traumatic storyline and um you know, so I thought, wow, like how on earth could Nadia have come through this so well adjusted and she's you know she she doesn't have any trauma like black widow does and um 
you know, she's, like you said, very bubbly, very upbeat, very um, just fearless in a way because she goes to this, you know, this new outside world that she has to get to know and she's making friends and very like a lot of the funny stuff is like her fish out of water experiences, you know, like learning how to cross the street safely and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, So, you know, it's like how on earth did did this girl possibly come through this horrible, you know, evil mastermind, (laughs) you know, workshop science class and, and she's not a a raving lunatic. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's where we got, the adjective in the name of, of unstoppable, um, you know, that Nadia is a character who by all rights, you know, should, should have given up. She should have, um, she should not be able to keep going as she is right now. Um, but she is, and she has, um, and she's going to continue to. Um, and I, I think, you know, that's, that's pretty incredible because, you know, Everybody has everybody has different experiences, but to be able to, you know, especially at that age, to pick yourself up and say, "All right, well, you know, I'm not going to let this, I'm not going to let them keep me down," because they've already done it for this long, and you know, the only real, the only real revenge for her, the only way um, to get anything is to, you know, for her to be happy, for her to have a life. Well, how did you get partnered with the rest of the team, you know, Elsa and Megan and Joe? How how did that come about? Um, so I had been writing some stuff in um and had been sort of indirectly under uh Tom Brevoort, who um is the, the lead editor on this, and um we'd been I'd been sort of annoying him about doing more stuff and uh you know, he'd been getting back to me, you know, he thought we might have something here, wasn't sure. And then um, finally the Wasp was one that he, he thought was going to be a good match for me to do a story. Um, and basically I, I wrote up a, a pitch, which is more or less um, the first arc of this story. And uh, most of what I had in that pitch initially made it through. You know, there's been some slight changes like there are with any comic that's in this big of a universe. Um, but <coughs> excuse me, um, almost everything is in that, that original pitch. And, once I got an idea of, of what I wanted to do and, and where we were going and sort of the attitude of it, um, Elsa was their, their first pick for who they wanted to draw the book. And uh, we were extremely lucky to get her because she is a very much sought after and very talented artist at this point. Um, and, you know, I, I think just the match of, of my, my writing and her art and this character are, are really fantastic. Um, and, yeah, Megan is um, somebody that, you know, we were looking at different colorists and trying to figure out, you know, who was available and who had time to do, you know, an ongoing series at this point. And, um, you know, Alana, our assistant editor, brought Megan's work to us. And uh, what was really incredible is is Megan lives like a couple hours from me, and I had never met her before. <laughs> um, and her her colors are, are awesome. I mean, she's been doing... Um, you know, she's done some work with Hellcat as well, as well as um, uh, she's done some work on uh, the all-new Wolverine series, I believe. Um, but all of her stuff is, you know, is really incredible. And I think that was one that, you know, the moment uh, the moment Elsa saw her stuff, she was like, yes, that's that's who I want. Uh, you know, I, yeah, it's, it seems to just go so well, like it was just the team that was meant to be. 
yeah, I mean, I had you know definite opinions about colorists, and and her stuff was definitely something I liked, but I wanted to kind of leave that up to Elsa to to make the final decisions, and um, you know, sort of nicely worked together that you know she came down in in the exact same place I did with Megan's stuff, and uh, yeah, I think I think all the elements of this uh, story of this comic work really well together, it's sort of a an unlikely way even. Well, something that actually stood out is, um, uh, you know, it's no surprise when I see Joe's name on something because he's uh, such a fantastic letterer um, that on some of your pages, you, you like really break out of the typical square boxes. Like they're they're not just boxes. They're, you know, pages with you know curves breaking through um the panels and you know then there's also not just the dialogue boxes but we get little unstoppable wasp robot facts and like little, little science things so joe's job was not only to deal with the dialogue but also to deal with these little sciencey facts so was there did you have to actually communicate a lot with him for that to come through so well, or was that just, he just interpreted the script? Uh, so honestly, like, you know, we, we got a first lettered version of the script and um, there was very little that, that I felt like needed to be changed in there. You know, scripts, there's always a little boldier italics there. Um, but, you know, Joe's, Joe's work is obviously incredible. And, um, you know, he, uh, he got most of it the first time we sort of, you know, uh, snipped, some pieces here and there. And as, I think as much of the edits I ever make in a lettering pass are, are me as anybody else. They're, you know, places where I go, all right, this page has a whole lot of dialogue and it's, you know, really blocking out the art. So we need to cut a chunk of this here and um, make changes there. Then I tend to be a, a wordy guy when it comes to dialogue. Um, but yeah, I mean, Joe's, Joe's work has been incredible and there was very little that I felt like we had to really, go back and, and change. Well, speaking of those cute little science facts and stuff, you know, where did that come from? Was it something that you've always had an interest in, uh, in the way it, cause it just, it seemed like, um, like sort of like, you know, highlights for kids, you know, it seemed like something that was really old timey and yet something that uh, a younger reader is going to, read over and absorb and know that it's, um, you know, not necessarily part of the story narration, but, you know, little things like, Oh, Hey, the robot has like different kinds of toes and stuff. <laughs> like, <laughs> did you like have a specific influence for that stuff? Uh, you know, I have to, I have to credit uh, Elsa with that. Um, because when, when I wrote the original script that the science facts weren't in there, um, and when she drew it, she um, she had the idea to do those little little bubbles that are in there that sort of give you uh, an inside look at you know what the robot looks like or what's going on with uh, various devices in the story, and um, you know that sort of uh, put the idea in my head to do the, the little science facts and, and play off of that. Um, so yeah, and that's you know that's something that like. She she did it, and I was like, all right, well, I have to <laughs> I have to match this. Um, so you know, I had to do a 
a bunch of uh, research on uh, robots and stuff. Uh, it's, it's actually much easier to do the explanations on the fake science than the real science. It's <laughs> um, like, uh, yeah, you know, we explain um, one of the, the characters has a, a belt that teleports them later in the story. And um, I was like, oh, that's easy to explain because we just make it up. Um, right. But yeah, when when you're actually talking about robotics, I mean, there's a lot of stuff actually both in this issue and the second issue. Second issue, I actually already had researched some of this stuff, so it was easy to go back and uh, plug some of these things in. Um, but it, um, you know, I, I actually had to look at robotics and look at joints and, and how they work and what they're called and you know, get all my nomenclature right. It was yeah, it was just really really cool because it felt like you know these fun things. I used to love watching. I, I was I'm, I'm not good at science, but I was always very interested in it. So it's just one of those things where I wanted to be good, mm-hmm. and I can remember watching Mr. Wizard on TV. Um, that's uh, you know aging myself there, mm-hmm. um, and you know and now the it seems like the internet savvy people understand who like Bill Nye is. And if he's like, he was Bill Nye, the science guy, you know? Yeah. yeah I, um, I uh, ran into Bill Nye at a comic book convention a couple of years ago, which was the coolest thing. It's just wild. And he was there doing, you know, panels and stuff. And I was like, ah, it's Bill Nye. <laughs> well, with, um, with the dialogue, like you said, you, you know, you really get invested in, in the dialogue of the characters. That was honestly my favorite part of the issue was Nadia with Ms. Marvel and Mockingbird and how they interact together because Ms. Marvel is the same age, roughly, I guess, and yet a completely different kind of person because it's her world and she's used to this world. Nadia is really naive and Mockingbird, you know, there's all these like, you know, old person jokes, old fart jokes. Mm-hmm. Um so there was a learning curve for Nadia, who is sheltered, and Mockingbird, because she doesn't understand what they're talking about. So, um, you know, are we going to see those characters specifically again, or are we going to look towards, uh, you know, like bringing in just, you know, do you have like a specific resource pool of characters that you're allowed to play with? Um, well, so far, Marvel's been very good about, you know, letting me use characters that I want to use. Um you know, they had no problem with uh, either Ms. Marvel or Mockingbird. Uh, the only the only thing I had to be careful with Ms. Marvel is uh, nobody knows her secret identity, so everybody just has to call her Ms. Marvel all the time, um, which you know is, is is fine when they're fighting, and it's a little awkward in the donut shop, which like we kind of commented on in the story. Um, but like, I, I think we're gonna have a variety of, of different characters from the Marvel universe. Um, we've already said in the previews that uh, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur will be uh, making an appearance at the end of issue two. Um, and we've got some, some more, uh, both both heroes and villains, um, planned to pop out throughout the series. Um, and in addition to that, I, I think you know our principal cast, uh, other than Nadia, are going to be characters that um, myself and Elsa are creating um, for, for her lab, her you know other female geniuses. Um, because we still want this very much to be her book, but um, you know, I like like getting more intelligent and, and diverse women into the Marvel universe because uh, I think it can always it can always use more of that. 
it reminds me there's a there's a show on that now I'm just going to have to like google because um I it caught my eye on Netflix. It's Project MC Squared. Yes, my daughter has been watching that show recently. Okay, okay. So it's that's exactly, you know, the same sort of like principal idea there where um, you know, it's a bunch of girls just sort of end up coming together because you know one of them's a secret spy yeah <laughs> so she's you know, so, spy science stuff yeah so she's a secret spy and um you know and they were like sort of younger girls like i really loved the cartoon totally spies too but they they felt a bit aged up um so with your organization that you've started here girl that's going to be like original characters or um, are it, you know, sort of like your justice league. Is it, you're going to get to include people like Luna or is it Lunella? Lunella. Um, yeah. So, I mean, Lunella is definitely uh, getting an invitation. Uh, you know, she's, uh, she's a character that I like. And, um, you know, I know that uh, Elsa likes because she's drawing her right now. Um, but, I think uh girl is going to be mostly new characters. Um, you know, we're definitely going to have some, some guest stars coming in, but um, we've got, I think four new girls who are going to be making up the uh, sort of the core of the group. Um, we actually got to talk to uh, marvel.com about them uh, the other day. It's a, a cool cool group of, of diverse girls will be, will be introducing everybody to over the next uh, couple of issues so they can fall, fall as much in love with them as they have Nadia already. Okay. So is there, these, these kids are like so super smart and there's usually a common thread when it comes to characters like this, who are so young, but brilliant that they still are, young and don't have life experiences so is there going to be a parental type figure for them maybe you know who's sort of like a figurehead um i think we're we're going to get a couple um you know janet is definitely going to be uh in and out of the book she has a pretty close relationship with uh with nadia at this point um you know they're sort of intrinsically tied together they care about each other um, we're also going to get, uh, in this first arc especially, quite a bit of Jarvis, who's uh, a favorite of mine and gets to play the uh, the grumpy old man to the uh, excited teenagers. <laughs> so. That's definitely cool. So um, one of the things in the the panels when you get to see the house, she's um, Nadia's basically, I guess, inherited Hank's house. Um you know, she's got her boards filled with formulas and um, gadgets everywhere. Like she's she's got probably 20 projects going at once. So are there any specific gadget type things that you're allowed to share with us right now? Um, so uh, the, the first part of the first storyline actually sort of um, – is built around them them needing to to make something to do a thing. There's a thing they need to do, and they've got to find a way to do it. Um, 
and that's that's going to be a big part of of this arc. Um, other than that, I mean, the, the biggest thing we uh, we're playing with right now is um, just sort of the, the different ways that um, Nadia uses her powers because she doesn't strictly um, do just the the growing, shrinking thing like Hank. She also has little little gauntlets on her um, costume that allow her to project pin particles so she can grow and shrink things, you know, at, at somewhat of a distance. Um, which we used we used to great effect in uh, Avengers when she she shrunk a gun out of a guy's hand at one point. Um, but that's the gauntlets are a, a fun part of what she does, and you know, obviously we get to play a bit with uh, the wings and the growing and shrinking. And um, there's there's going to be a lot of little fun things we come up with, um, but I, I think that's going to be part of the fun of reading the comics is, is seeing all the crazy stuff we do. I love that she really has this armor and helmet and stuff because I think one of the things that's really ignored, even though, you know, we're, we always obviously are talking about superpowers and, you know, <clears throat> people who don't have to adhere to human physiology, but, um, you know, that her power is that she's so smart. It's her brain that's the power. So in order to get her to fly around and do things, you know, it doesn't mean that she can just go up into the stratosphere and <laughs> um, she needs to be protected. And uh, just like when she was fighting against the robot and stuff, like, you know, she's going to get swatted. She's going to have to have reactions. She's not just some unstoppable thing like, um, you know, like Captain America's all beefed up. <laughs> So, um, you know, so she still seems like she's really got these human qualities. Yeah, I mean, that's that's something that, you know, is important to me that she maintain, um, you know, is is this sort of sense of humanity. Um, because, you know, it is so easy and done so often for, you know, characters who are, are smart, who are science-driven characters to uh, you know, sort of, be very much inside their head and not not have much of a personality outside of being a scientist. And um, I, I think that's that's something that's missing in a lot of cases from from those type of stories. And uh, I, I want Wasp to be fun. I want it to be enjoyable. And I I like the you know the bits of personality that were strewn through the Avengers stories she'd been in. And that's that was the big thing I was excited to play with. In addition to the super science is to, you know, really get that super personality that Nadia has. That's really important because it just seemed, you know, like I said, there were so many tropes of the young genius characters where they're just annoying as hell, you know, um, like they have no social skills or they have no real friends because who would put up with them? So maybe they have one friend who kind of, you know, lingers around or, you know, is like a sidekick or something. But, um, you know, she's just this delightful, glowing ball of energy, and she just can't wait to explore every bit of the world around her. So it's, um, it you know, it's just invigorating to read it and be like, oh, this love of life. Oh, I haven't felt that love of life since I was that age or something. And um, she just really, you know, brings that out. Yeah, well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to hear it. That's that's definitely something I wanted to do because I I think there's this tendency 
with you know science-based characters to make them either either doom and gloom type characters where you know they're just they're just here for whatever the big um, you know cosmic problem is that they have to solve with science this month or you know they're um, they're too smart and too serious for other people and as, as much as I um, as much as I like Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur like that's a very intentional part of her character is that you know she's she's so smart that she just doesn't get along with other people like if people don't recognize how smart she is she doesn't want anything to do with them um, and you know that's that's a that's a great character trait. Uh, I just wish uh, I just want there to be more personal female scientist or personable female scientists as well. Because right. uh, in my it's, experience, they are. So. Yeah, it's just it was nice to have some range. Like you know, okay, well, yes, that's one type of person, but you know, hopefully not every genius is like that. You know, so it just it just felt nice to see something different. Yeah, I think it's you know a very much a result of their surroundings as well, because you know Lunella is this kid who's grown up in public schools dealing with people who just don't just don't have a concept of how smart she is who don't um don't believe her when she you know says what she's doing or how smart she is whereas you know Nadia has this this sense of confidence about her intelligence and scientific ability like she knows she's smart she doesn't need anybody to tell her um you know and she doesn't need confirmation from other people like you know she wasn't she wasn't Read, you know, through through the red room to have a, uh, you know, a sense that, um, you know, she shouldn't, she shouldn't acknowledge the fact that she's smart or she shouldn't be proud of her intelligence. Like she, that's basically all they wanted her for. Right. Um, and and in the first issue that that um, people have had the chance to take a look at, like the story, um that we know so far, like it's, you know, for like, the, like you said, the donut thing, like she's in the donut shop and wants to try everything, but she's trying to get her way to the immigration office to, I guess, is she just trying to become a citizen specifically of the U S or is she just needing ID because she's this, you know, long lost child refugee from the evil scientist room. I mean, a little bit of both, like it's, the two things sort of complicate each other because, you know, she wants to officially become a U.S. citizen so that, you know, she doesn't have to worry about being extradited or anything like that. But that is complicated by the fact that, uh, you know, she doesn't, there's, there's no official record of her existing whatsoever, um, you know, because she's been in, uh, in the red room her whole life. Um, so, you know, theoretically, in a case like hers, you'd be able to say, oh, well, you know, Hank Pym is her father. Hank Pym is an American citizen. Therefore, she gets American citizenship. That's the way the law works. Uh, but since, you know, Hank Pym is, is not around and uh, not here to, you know, take a DNA test to confirm that he is, in fact, the father, um, you know, the, it's a bit – it becomes, at least in this issue, a bit of a dead end for her, um, you know, where she's got to figure out how to get around to that. I think it was just um, because of how you, you, you know, you had it with this um, big giant robot coming and interrupting her day. It, it was just something that that readership level that kids will easily be able to see and just, 
absorb that something's happening and that she she wanted to you know there there must be something important about being a citizen and you know who knows how young they are how old they are when they start realizing the importance of that and what comes along with that because we went through obviously this dreadful election and um one of the stories that i read was this woman who was in her 90s i believe was turned away from voting because she didn't have a valid birth certificate because now they started checking or something. And it's like she's been voting for, you know, decades in the same place. And then they randomly decided to start checking. Which is, you know, it's like, how is my, you know, 90-year-old grandmother going to prove this? And, you know, so here it's like in this little tiny story about, a you know, girls fighting a giant robot – you know, there's this importance about, you know, needing your papers. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if kids are going to pick up on anything like that or why it's important. But, um, you know, like Ms. Marvel obviously already got a lot of press because she was like this, like, I guess the first Muslim female character to star in her, in her series. So, yeah, I think, you know, you know it's, it's an interesting thing that, um, you know, comes up in this issue and will be in some of the later issues as well, that um, the people around Nadia, be it, you know, Janet or, or Jarvis or, you know, Ms. Marvel, are all well aware of the importance of, of citizenship and the fact that she needs to uh, get that locked down. Um, whereas, you know, for her, it's it's much more of a like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm busy changing the world. I'll handle the citizenship thing later. Like, um you know, she's she's not that concerned with it. And, you know, I, I guess in her mind, for good reason, she's got more important things to do. But, uh, you know, also who's, I don't know, who's going to show up to deport her because she doesn't officially exist. And what are they going to do, send her back to, you know, this other lab? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, obviously there's a refugee crisis going on in Europe, too. But, I mean, I can remember from how long ago it was when that little boy was coming over from Cuba and there was, like, this big family feud. Like, I think his his father wanted him in the U.S., but his mother's family had still had, you know, ties in Cuba or something. It was really um, – it was one of those things where it was like the, you know, like the baby in the well kind of story. Like people were following his story every single day yeah. to, you know, to figure out like, oh, my gosh, you know, can he stay in the United States? Can he, you know, can he be saved and protected somehow? And um, when there's like this face and this specific name to something, it feels like a more powerful statement than when it's like, oh, there's 30,000 people right now who are, you know, walking until they fall over dead um you know it's just i can't remember who it was that said that but somebody said yeah you you know you make a bigger statement with one you know with one kid going to school than you do with building a whole school or something yeah i I think you know it's it's easier for people to relate to it's easier for them to get their minds around and um yeah it's it's sort of been fascinating as as we've been writing this book and, and weird things have been developing with Russia. Um, yeah. Yep. You know, yeah. Poor Nadia. feels weirdly circumstantial. So. Yeah. Because I mean, yeah. How long ago did we think that was all done? <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. Um, so I 
follow all of your feeds, obviously. And and one of the things I thought you said, I, I don't remember how long ago, maybe about a week ago or so, was that um, you had to really convince people that you could write superheroes, even though you wrote, you know, you, you write Princeless and Raven the Pirate and My Little Pony and the Teen Avengers and stuff. Like, why is it so hard to convince people that, you know, writing a heroic character doesn't really matter if it's fantasy or superhero. Yeah. I, I wish I knew, like, um, I feel like a lot of people have this, this conception that the thing that they work on, the thing that they do is, is much more of a, you know, niche thing than it is. Um, and I think, you know, there, there are differences obviously between doing, uh, fantasy comic and doing a, a superhero comic and there's a difference between doing an all ages comic and doing something that's, um, you know, specifically for, for an older group. But I think, uh, this, this concept that there's a, a hard wall between the two and, uh, people can't cross over that wall or, or the things that are applicable to an all ages title aren't applicable to, you know, writing anything. It's, it's ludicrous. Um, I've had a lot of, you know, editors and folks who are, you know, are sure that this thing I do, I do pretty well, but, you know, how does it relate to other types of comics? They're comics. <laughs> They're, um, yeah. you know, I, I, and especially with, all, with the, with the track Alan record, Moore. they don't want to be all Alan Moore about it, but like, uh, they're comics. <laughs> it's not that big a deal. Um, it's yeah i mean comics are the medium i mean the the talent is that you're a storyteller and you have all of these years of experience now writing comics you know writing stories that appeal to female readers like princess princeless and raven and um you know like my little pony like i mean if people actually looked at the credits of my little pony i think it's either got to be nearly even or probably more male dominated, um, you know, as far as creators go, you know, I know people like Katie Cook have worked on it before, but um, Tony Fleece worked on it and um, Tom Tom Zoller worked on it. So, yeah, yeah, you know, Tom and and Andy and Tony and, um, you know, there, there are some, there are plenty of amazing female creators that work on that book, not just Katie, but, um, you know, Agnes obviously has uh, done a ton of issues as well. Um, and, you know, Christina Rice and um, my my buddy Jen Blake and um, a lot of other, a lot of other people have, have contributed stuff to that. And yeah, I think, I think ponies is something that is harder for me to write in a lot of cases than, um, you know, than my usual stuff just because, so many of the stories I've done there are one shot stories and um one shot is the I feel like to some extent is is the hardest and, and most pure form of like writing a comic is to, you know, take a story from beginning to end and, and get it all done inside those, you know, twenty to twenty four pages. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean, 'cause I the the only story that I have slated to come out uh, so far for this year is uh, is only four pages, so <laughs> um, as a backup. But it's like, 
okay, how do I, how do I try to not go overboard here and come up with some sort of, you know, well, this will be like worth 12 issues. Like, no. (laughs) Yeah. I, I had a similar experience in that, um, I got offered the, you know, spot on, um, civil war two choosing sides story. And, um, my my editor said, you know, okay, we want we want to do a story that's you know basically about um, James Rhodes' death and, and how it's affecting other people, uh, but we we don't want to do you know uh, Iron Man or, or Captain Marvel because we obviously think those are going to be covered in their books. We'll have a chance to see that already. Um, you know, we want to see some other ideas of characters who might have ties to him in one way or another that we're not necessarily aware of or you know would be affected in a different way so i basically just like i brainstormed this idea of a bunch of characters um and i think what we ended up coming down with was you know i was like all right well there's you know, there's four characters that i really like for this um you know we could do america chavez we could do uh you know story with um spectrum we could do a story with uh storm or we could do a story with um Misty Knight, and um, and it was basically like, oh yeah, I um, I like all of those. We should do all of those. Um, so we've got eight pages to do all those stories. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a that's a lot. It's a good from doing from being one eight page story to basically four two page stories, which um, man, that's that's tough to do. It is. That's a it's a good writing challenge if somebody yeah. um you know, just wants to, even if you don't plan on doing anything with it, if you just even make it fan fiction or whatever, just give yourself a writing challenge to try to fit within a, a page count limit that's smaller than normal. It You'll surprise yourself. <laughs> yeah, like think of a great idea that you could write a 20-page comic about and then do it in two pages. You know? Yes, huh. exactly. Um, so do you think that the the big readership now for, for some of these fun YA comics like Unstoppable Wasp and Raven and Lumberjanes. Do you think that um, our comics, our Western American comics are getting any like manga readers now that there's, uh, there's actually content for young girls to read? Like, you know, or is it just, I don't know. Is it, is it just there's still like you know the typical comic geek? I mean, I I think there's definitely some some bleed over. Like there's definitely uh, a younger, more female and and more diverse um, culturally like group of people reading comics. Because um, you know it's for me it's it's fairly easy to see that just from doing conventions. Like um, you know just the makeup of the people that are at every convention. Cause I, I do, you know, between 10 and 16 a year, um, like the people that are there and the people that are buying comics is, is definitely not the exact same group of people that were buying comics, you know, five years ago when I started doing Princeless. Um, I think there's a much more comfortable and sort of relaxed atmosphere, uh, among that readership. I think that might not necessarily, you know, all those people may not translate directly to, you know, people who go to comic shops. Um, 
they may not be 100% of the same people, um, but I don't think they're any less devoted, and I do think they're reading. They just may read in a you know, different style, be it um, you know, in trade paperbacks or um, you know, in digital format or something like that. And uh, you know, I, I think it's, I, I think it would be uh, ill-advised for any companies or, or writers to um, look at that audience as as less. Because if if anything, like as a creator, digital is is really a better thing for you. There's less of a less of a print run involved, less of a cost up front. Um, and while I'm I'm still one of those people that likes to have a physical book in my hand, like there are, there are people I know who cannot get physical books who you know um, live somewhere where there are no comic right. shops. You know, no right, way and especially if you're if you're an indie creator, I mean, if people can only get your stuff through um, you know like convention sales or something, then or or your your own local comic shop instead of where they live, it's that would be really hard. Yeah, I mean, my, you know, my very early self-published stuff, like, it was available, like, if you happen to run into me at a comic convention, or if you went to, you know, one particular branch of my local comic shop. Yep. But, um, do you have any idea, since this is a Marvel book, and, um, they obviously have, um, different distribution, then... Uh, and they're on, well, let's see, they're still on Comixology, even though they have their own like digital world. So I don't know how they are calculating that into stuff, but do you have any idea about the sales for this um, Unstoppable Wasp number one yet? Honestly, I don't. Um, I don't know exactly what, um, what we're looking at sales wise. I do know that I've talked to um, several folks who, have not been able to to reorder it at this point. So as far as I know, the first print is sold out. Um, so whatever whatever we were budgeted for, we've we've sold more than that apparently, um, which you know was good news to me. Um, but honestly, I have no idea what that was. I know whatever it is, it's probably well, it's definitely way more than you know anything I've ever sold on Princeless. Wow, wow. But hopefully, well, hopefully there'll be those like ICV2 reports or something will, you know, let us know. Yeah, that would be cool. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know when to expect that out. And hopefully, um, you know, whatever the whatever the numbers are, that will require them doing a second printing and they'll bump those up a bit. Well, I predict that there will be Unstoppable Wasp cosplay coming out that you will get to see it's not going to be me but i'm just saying i one of the coolest things that i've seen already is pictures of uh a little girl dressed as riri williams <laughs> and uh, you know it was just adorable it's i i think it's like you said you can you can see the people that come to the conventions and just you know it, the the parents who let their kids really get into it and help them uh, find exactly what they want. It's just so cool. Yeah. You had a, you, there was a, there was a princeless, um, somebody dressed as Adrian, right? Yeah. I've, we've had a couple of um, cosplayers now. We've had a couple of Adrians 
and uh, several Bedelias at this point. Um, you know, people people like carrying around a big hammer. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that one's um, it's been a lot of fun because um, and nothing nothing thrilled me as much as you know the, the first couple times I had cosplayers come up and you know to to look at them and be like that was a thing that was in my head. And, like, I told an artist about, and they drew, and now you're it. Like, you're that thing. That's yes. crazy. <laughs> well, it's funny, because now, like, there's all these tutorials online, and they make everything look so easy that they they take this foam and the stuff that I've tried before, and I don't do a, such a great job with. I've tried making like this big helmet um, for Queen Neva from Planet Gigantic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I couldn't get my seams to fill in and or anything. And I'm like, geez, how the heck do they do it? And I don't know. I just don't know. And it's like they're getting younger and younger on these tutorials, like, oh, well, you just do this. And I'm, and I'm like, oh, I just give up. <laughs> yeah. You're the, you're the mockingbird in the scenario. Huh? Yes, totally. When I read the, the page where, where she didn't know what they were talking about, I'm like, oh, God, that's me. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I know that feeling already because I, I remember, like, being on my first couple panels at conventions and being, like, the young kid on the uh, the panel where, like, I got to I got to make everybody else feel old, and that's it's already starting to get turned on me. <laughs> yeah, over the weekend I was posting some get off my lawn tweets. <laughs> you know, these kids with their um, devices and stuff, and they always have the volume way up. It's like I don't want to hear your crap. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I've on Instagram I've been seeing uh, cats that have their own devices or something. I don't know, but there's these. I don't know if it's some kind of screensaver or, or a game or what it is, but it's like you can ha- – I've seen either fish or mice that run around the screen, and the cats, like, try to get them like they're looking at a real thing. It's hilarious. And uh, so, I'm like, I'm going to have to figure out how to do that and see if – although my cat likes to chew my phone, so it might be a really bad idea. Yeah, those young whippersnappers. Even my cat's addicted to the phone. <laughs> Yeah, my um, my wife's been getting freaked out because my uh, four-month-old daughter is is really uh, is is actually looking at the TV, which you know mm-hmm. she should not be doing at this point. She's you know fascinated by the flashing lights more than anything, I think. But uh, yeah, you know she's she's worried about all the uh, issues with you know raising kids with screens for everything, but. Yeah, they're supposed to like you know really monitor their minutes and stuff, and it's such seems impossible. Yeah, I mean, especially you know when you're when you're a busy family doing stuff and running around trying to get stuff done. It's, it's hard to monitor yeah. minutes spent in front of you know whatever whatever type of screen. Do you turn stuff off when you're writing? I have to. Um, I. I can't, I can't write and watch TV. Um, usually, I can write and listen to music, but it's going to be a very kind of specifically something I, I know pretty well already. Because um, you know, if I if I find myself listening too closely, I will uh, just kind of 
not be uh, writing all of a sudden. So, yeah, like podcasts are out for me as well. Anything where there's anything that I have to be actively listening to or watching just does not work for me. Yeah, it's interesting how the different tasks of of comic work, people have to, they sort of have different responses to that question. Because a lot of inkers and colorists will love that if they can have the TV on or podcast running. Because they're like, oh, yeah, I'm just thinking away while listening to so-and-so. Yeah, I'm, I get so – I get envious of that because I've got to, you know, put myself away somewhere, away from people and, um, you know, in my my own – not necessarily quiet, but, you know, uninterrupted space uh, in order to, to write. Um, but, yeah, I, I know plenty of artists who, you know, will do every every type of comics art from – you know, penciling to inking to painting, you know, while binging something on Netflix, which isn't possible. <laughs> yeah, you, you, I, I would miss a lot. I, I mean, if I have something playing, it's something I've seen a billion times. Yeah. Um, so what stuff are you are you reading? Do you have time? Obviously, you have a very, very busy life. Um, yeah, I, I try to keep up on uh, a lot of stuff. I, I read several books with um, my daughter, my five-year-old daughter, Zuri, and I read uh, Unstoppable Squirrel Girl and uh, – or not Unstoppable Squirrel Girl. Wow. <laughs> um, that's not a thing. Um, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. <laughs> and then um, also Lumberjanes and Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Um, I've been really enjoying um, the series Slam that just started up from Boom. Um, I read it ton of Action Lab stuff, obviously, from my fellow creators there. Um, and I also, you know, I really like, uh, what else am I reading? A lot of, uh, a lot of image boom stuff. And then, uh, you know, in addition to the Marvel stuff that I read for fun, which is already a ton, I have to <laughs> read some of it just to, to keep up with uh, the state of things in the world. Yeah, I'm sure you have to. It's homework. Yeah, yeah. Because I, if I, if I get it wrong, somebody will let me know, and it's a lot more work to, uh, to get it wrong and have to correct it than to, to get it right the first time. Yeah, true. Um, yeah, I love uh, Action Lab's Dog of Wonder. That's one of my favorite ones. Oh yeah. Yeah, and obviously, you know, like Raven, I'm always talking about. Um, I, I got into it. Uh, there was only, I think, two issues out so far of the skeptics from Black Mask Studios. Oh, yeah. Teeny's book. Yeah, yeah it was really fun. Really yeah. su- super fun. I just finished uh, number two last night, I think. So, yeah, Black Mask, I feel like, has been has been making moves. I, I really I like Definitely. the skeptics. I like uh, Kim and Kim. Um, uh, I just actually finished... Uh, Finished writing an intro for the uh, the trade for uh, Jade Street Protection Agency, um, which is another really good book that uh, Katie Katie Rex is doing over there. Yeah, I keep meaning to check that one out, and I'm like, oh, I'll get it, I'll get it, I'll get it. and it's like, you know, I end up with this inbox full of things. I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. The the first two issues are out now. I think three is coming out soon. I, I got a sneak preview of three and four so that I could um, write that up. But yeah, I'm, I'm really, 
I'm really enjoying them. I feel like Black Mask is, is very much in the same kind of place that, you know, Action Lab was four years ago. With, you know, we've got a couple of, of good, solid books, and they're, they're putting some interesting things together. Yeah, they definitely are. And they've, you know, the, the talent that's been on their books, it's like, you know, have these people been hiding? Like, why why aren't they... I don't know, like super famous or something. It's just <laughs> I don't know if they if they're people from big books that have that are just doing creator owned or if it's people that hadn't been discovered. I'm not really sure. Yeah, I, I think you know it's, it's all people who have have been around, but for whatever reason, um, you know, bigger companies were um, not not looking for them, not putting stuff together for them. And I mean, you know, it's interesting. I think that you know talking about um, Teeny and um, Mags, who does uh, Kim and Kim, that uh, you know they've both picked up you know uh, small small writing gigs for uh, Young Animal just in the last few months, you know doing backups for stories there. So like, <clears throat> you know, luckily somebody somebody seems to be paying attention out there. Well, what's it like to pitch? the bigger companies after you, you know, you've had some indie success, like is, can you cold pitch them? Um, it's cause I thought you couldn't, I thought you, I thought it was one of those things where you had to be, they had to sort of know who you are and be, and ask you to pitch. Yeah. You know, it, it kind of is, it's a little bit of both cause they have to, they have to know who you are. They have to kind of have seen your work and, um, be interested in what you're doing. Um, before you know, before they're, they're really interested in hearing anything from you, pitch wise, and you know, in my experience, uh, it's a lot of you know, even at that point, editors will say, "Oh yeah, go ahead and pitch me," um, but you know, un you know, unsolicited pitches are are sort of um, bottom of the po- of the uh, totem pole for the most part. You know, they're not really not looking for those. They have so many things that they have to. Uh, get out already and you know new books that are sort of coming from from within the company that yeah you know some they'll they'll try and get back to you they'll try and answer you but um it's not the it's not going to be the first thing on their list either oh okay i see um so what conventions will you be at this year oh goodness um it's <clears throat> a good question um so I'm, I think my first one is actually like next month. Um, so I'm, I'm doing uh, in in February. I'm doing uh, Pensacon, which is in Pensacola, Florida, and uh, Captain's Comic Expo. Um, I'm also I'm doing both uh, both the NC Comic Cons this year. Uh, Oak City, which is in Raleigh, in March, and then. Uh, obviously, the big one in, in Durham in November. Um, I'm doing South Carolina Comic Con um, in in Greenville, South Carolina, which is also in March. Um, I'm, I don't know if I'm doing any pony stuff this year or not. Um, I'm definitely doing uh, Denver Comic Con again, um, which is a big one. Um, Tidewater Comic Con, which is in Virginia Beach. Um, MomoCon, which is a, a big one in um, Atlanta, which is sort of a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty wide ranging one. Um, 
very much in the, the spirit of like a Dragon Con, where it's you know comics and other stuff, um, and mostly other stuff. Um, I'm doing Awesome Con in DC as well, um, so I'm, I'm trying. I'm hoping to be able to get to either or both San Diego and New York, um, but yeah, I'm. I will be hopefully very busy and, and running around, um, you know, throughout the summer and throughout the year um, with, with doing a bunch of cons. Yeah, that sounds like a really long list of uh, calendar dates that you've got to set aside. Yeah, it's it's going to be a lot. <laughs> okay, so where can people follow your announcements and stuff? What's the best place? Um, probably the best place as far as, you know, being – being updated on the regular is is on Twitter. Um, I'm jrome58, so it's J R O M E five eight. Um, I, I talk about comics and politics and everything else on there. Um, and then got a uh, Tumblr, which is princelscomic.tumblr.com. I have a poorly updated website, uh, which is just jeremywhitley.com. Um, which you know, hopefully we'll we'll get sorted out in this next year, so we can get links up to where people can find everything. Um, but those are so definitely the uh, best places to find me. But Twitter, you can always get a hold of me. Excellent. Well, I was really excited to to read this book. I hadn't read anything from Marvel in a while, so um, Unstoppable Wasp definitely, I think, made a made a huge impact for January readers. It was a it was a definitely a fun way to start the the year because it had just seemed so dismal. It was definitely a a good break. Yeah, I you know I I want to read more fun comics and it's always sort of been been a rule with me that I you know I try to write the kind of comics that I would want to read, not you know some kind of of comic that I'm pitching to an audience that may or may not want it, but you know the ones that I'm excited about. Um, so, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully it'll, it'll keep hitting all those spots for people because it's going to keep being fun and, and upbeat and exciting, and we're telling a an interesting story, which you know is going to start to shape itself over the next couple issues. So I'm, I look forward to people reading those and, and hopefully loving those as well. So when you do pick up these books and you love them, be sure to at least mention that over on uh, Twitter or places wherever you buy them. Like if you're getting them through a uh, comiXology, I, I know that you can, you have to, it has to be like a, a validated purchase or something in order to rate and review things there. So um, be sure to do that because it always helps and it helps bring attention to it. And when people talk about these books, then, you know, it helps influence the market and they see that books like that are wanted and have a place so definitely do that and follow jeremy on those websites hopefully you can see him at one of these like hundred shows he's doing <laughs> and you can follow me on twitter at elizabeth amber and you can sponsor the show at patreon.com slash amber unmasked